Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Liz Feldstern in Jerusalem, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Potash in California. Alan, how's it going? Liz, it's great to see you. We've both been off for a couple of weeks. It's good to be back on on uh, a schedule to do this. I understand. Yes, it's been a while. I understand you just returned to Israel from the states. How was that? Anything we have. Exciting? We what? I said anything new and exciting from your eyes in America. Uh, well, it was new and exciting to be traveling anywhere at all. Right, first time on a plane in four years. And we spent just about two weeks in New, all in New Jersey, in a couple different places, and it was great. We, you know, it's nice to know the United States is still there, and mostly the same as I recall it being four years ago. Um, I'm not sure what the kids did or did not remember, but they also enjoyed themselves, and we tried to hit all the highlights and experiences that they don't necessarily have so much here so they did ice skating and mini golf and the beach although we do have the beach here it's a different it's slightly different and coming from jerusalem it's a little schlucky we don't do it all that often new jersey it's more convenient um and we had a great time did you experience anything out of the ordinary that you hadn't experienced in the past when you've been in the states so, I mean, there were a couple of things that I guess I noticed that seemed a little bit different. One, and I think that I did objectively notice it, not just because I had already heard that this was an issue, but there, I think it was like um, noticeable how a number of different stores and businesses were understaffed. I know there has been a lot of talk in the States about post-COVID and uh, a lack of available workers or people wanting to work. Um, and so I definitely felt like I could see that stores that just weren't fully stocked. And I don't remember that being the case before. Um, so that was different. That is, um, that is something yeah. that's going on around America. It's the supply chain, it's the lack of people, and it's the, also the lack of quality customer service. So that's probably what you experienced. Yeah. Although I will say specifically in the hotel where we were staying, the customer service was excellent and everyone was super nice and anything that, you know, you could have asked for came very quickly. So the hotel specifically, luckily for us, had great customer service. I'm looking forward to experiencing that in Israel, some fine customer service when I come. Yeah, customer service, I I can't say is a strong suit in Israel. And it's not because of COVID. It just has never been really a priority or an expectation here. I And actually, just this morning, I was remarking on it. I was in a store with Yishai, my oldest, just became a bar mitzvah. and we were exchanging something and the woman, I mean, barely a woman, she was probably, I don't know, 16 behind the counter. Like, I mean, she didn't, she hardly looked up from her phone. 
She definitely made it seem like I was making her life very difficult by having walked into this store at all. And it was very simple. I mean, it was a one-to-one exchange of the same item with a receipt, just a different size. I took it off the shelf myself. She had to do nothing. And yet she acted like I was making her life (laughs) difficult. And when we walked out of the store, I said to Yashai, I said, you know, that's not really what customer service is supposed to look like. Like you're kind of supposed to pretend like you want to help the person, even if you don't, even if you're 16 and this is just a job to get a little bit of extra spending money, you're supposed to make the person feel like you want to help. (laughs) I just wanted him to know that I did not think this was okay customer service. So I hope that your hotel experience will be different, but I wouldn't get my hopes up too much. Well, we can always talk about it next week when we are together uh, in Israel and uh, sharing that combined uh, experience. Um, So this is really the first time we've spoken in a couple of weeks, and a lot of things have taken place in Israel uh, that I think we can talk about. One that's that's on my mind, and it's probably more on your mind than mine, and that's the potential teacher's strike. There's a, it's a common thing to the start of the school year to have a teacher strike in Israel. Is that what I'm hearing? So it is, unfortunately, I guess, pretty common to have a teacher strike or the threat of a teacher strike at the beginning of the school year in Israel. This one is a little more complex because they're negotiating the entire salary package for all elementary and middle school teachers. Sometimes when it's like one smaller issue, it's, you know, less dramatic. Um, But this is a, a bigger issue that's on the table. And it's been several months of negotiations. You, You may recall there were strikes already at the end of the last school year in June, and they still haven't come to an agreement. And now, of course, right before school is meant to begin, the teachers union has more, you know, strength in trying to to leverage to get what they want by by threatening the strike. Um, and it's complicated even further by the fact that since we don't have a regular government right now, we have this sort of in-between caretaker government the total amount of money which the treasury can offer to the teachers union is capped. So they can negotiate within that budget of, you know, how much is going to new teachers versus veteran teachers and whether the scale is based on years in the system or exemplary teaching or what have you, but the total budget cannot change. So it's an interesting round of negotiations. They have already announced that the special education system will be exempt, which is interesting and actually is is often what happens in Israel, right? People recognize that having children with special needs at home is even more difficult and trying for parents to not have um, those students in their regular system. And so that is one concession that usually gets made. And again, in this case, so those schools will open as usual, regardless of what happens with the strike. Um, And now I guess where things sit is that the treasury, which is 
headed by Lieberman. He's the minister of, uh, of finance right now. Uh, he has asked for an injunction, which would prevent the teachers from striking, would force them to go to work, regardless of whether the negotiations have come to any conclusion. So we'll we'll see. We'll see if they reach some agreement, if they strike, if they're not allowed to strike. Um, so it's unusual yeah. that that part's unusual in Israel to have an injunction against striking. I know in America, it's you, teachers can't really strike, but I didn't know that in Israel. So it's not unprecedented, but it would be unusual for it to actually be enforced. It's not. It's not unusual that he's asked for it. Um, it's like another piece of the negotiation process. You know, he's sort of showing his, throwing his weight around, I guess. Um, but it would be unusual for it to be enforced. Hopefully it just, you know, gets everybody back around the table so that they can come to some agreement, which is, you know, accepted all around. It's inter- one of the things that's interesting, I think, in this discussion. So as I, I mentioned already, right, the, the issue right now is not the total amount of money because the total amounts of money cannot change. But how that money is divided, who are the teachers that it is most important to incentivize and to raise their salaries? Is it the new and young teachers so that talented people will come into the system, right? So that young people will want to become teachers because it's a profession with uh, a living wage and something that they would feel respected. Or is it the teachers that have stayed for a long time that we want to make sure people become teachers and stay teachers and, and that's who we should be raising their salaries? And then there's also the question of, is the scale based on how long you've been in the system and it sort of works across the board for the whole country, for, for all types of schools, or do we give more independence to school principals to give raises or bonuses to specific teachers who they believe are performing well? Um, and, and there are a lot of differences of opinion of what's best for the system, right? Some people say, well, if you incentivize the young teachers, they're all going to come now, but in five years, they're all going to leave. So, then, um, so yeah, you're posing all sorts of interesting questions around it. So just a couple of quick things. So school is supposed to start when? So school in Israel, it's very easy to remember. Every year starts September 1. Doesn't matter. We don't have Labor Day here. Before, after, farming, doesn't matter. September 1. So, yeah. So that's this coming week. And then in three weeks, you've got a break for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So they go for a couple of weeks, and then they're off for another two weeks. Yeah, they'll have a few days of school in between uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But then they'll be off between Yom Kippur and Sukkot for about three weeks, most schools. Yeah, it's it's a big break over those holidays. Um, and then they'll go back to school until Hanukkah, and then we've got another big break, which is another one of the issues on the table, um, whether the schedule of teachers should more closely match the schedule of most working parents, right? Because right now, schools and teachers have many more days of vacation than the vacation calendar in, in any other type of occupation. So that's also on the table. 
clearly teachers, I don't know, clearly, the teachers union is not in favor of increasing the number of school days. But that's another issue that's under discussion. So before we move on from this, we've talked before about the mandatory retirement age. Is that something Mm -hmm. that impacts the school system, the educational system? Is there a big wave of people retiring and not teachers coming into the um, profession? That's an interesting question. So because teachers are government employees, they are subject to the mandatory retirement age, which is 62 for women and 67 for men. Um. I have not heard specifically that there's like a a wave or a bump right now in the number that are retiring, but you always have, right, a certain steady number of people who are reaching that age of retirement. And it's clear that we don't have a lot of people wanting to come into the system and become teachers for a lot of reasons, one of which is that the salaries are not high. I mean, they're very slightly higher than the average salary in the whole, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is in English, in the whole marketplace, like across all jobs, they're just slightly above average income. I am, which, look, there are different views that people could have on that. I am, but for a job which does require a degree, right? And is not an easy job. I think we can all agree has a lot of demands meeting the needs of students and parents and uh, administrative staff and all that. You know, it's not, it's not a great salary to be just in the average of all jobs across the country. Um, On the other hand, because we have so many schools and so many children in Israel, do you know what percentage of the overall budget goes to teachers? No. It's about 10%. Oh, really? Yes. Which is a very large chunk, right? To think that 10% of the government budget is spent on teachers. um, Teachers or education in general? Teachers specifically? Uh, I think I can look back at where I read it, but I think it was talking specifically about teachers. Um, You know, we don't have really private schools in Israel. So when you think about the difference, you know, of what the state budget looks like for teacher salaries, it's not, it wouldn't be comparing apples to apples to look at what it is, let's say, in the U.S., where you have a significant number of children of the country that aren't in the public school system. Here we almost don't have that. Um, And we have, we know that Israel has many more children per capita than, than any Western country. Um, Now there have been also, and this is a discussion for a whole different day. I won't get into it at all. I will just leave a very tiny teaser. There have been a lot of discussions about the fact that Israel spends quite a lot on education, including per child, but with lower results than we should see for that, right? When we look then at international test scores and things like that, it's not that Israel's off the charts. So the effectiveness of the whole system is another question, but we'll leave that for another day. I think that's a great topic uh, for another day because we talk about, you know, the high level of innovation that takes place 
within Israel and how it overcompetes in the greater sphere of things in terms of technology, medical research, and other things. So there has to be a growth and impact of the educational system that's having a result in Israel. So that's a great conversation for us to have uh, in the future. I do want to, you know, connect a little more on current events issues with you since we've been gone the impact of the upcoming elections in November and I've mm-hmm. been following the the primaries and the party primaries that have been taking place and nothing really seems to change so I don't know what's your take on on where we are with the parties and the upcoming election yeah so I think when we last spoke a few weeks ago you had asked about I don't know if it was polling or how the parties were shaving up. And I said, it's too soon to know about polling. We don't even know which parties are going to be in this election yet. So now that it's, you know, six weeks out or whatever it is, okay, we do know basically who the parties are going to be. We're very, you know, kind of fly by the seat of our pants here in Israel. Um, But now we know who the parties are and the polls are starting to come out. And um. It looks so far like we are sort of maybe even in a more difficult situation than we were in the in the last election's results because, you know, you have all these parties and they're all getting different numbers of possible projected seats. But when you then add them up into what could potentially be a block of parties that would form a right-wing government, ostensibly led by Netanyahu and those parties that would form most likely a left-wing bloc led by Yair Lapid, we see that they're basically neck and neck (laughs) and neither is likely to get 61 seats as a bloc, which would be right the majority of the 120 seats in the Knesset. So we will again be in this situation of having some party head given the task of trying to form a coalition and the likelihood of that being successful or possible is infinitesimal. Right? <laughs> it is, I mean, the, the the numbers just don't add up. Like, there's not any which way you can slice it that it's going to get to that number unless something, you know, wildly surprising happens and some party that you wouldn't expect decides to join the other coalition, which is has happened before. Um, but we should remember that it only happened the last time around after three rounds of elections. Right, right. It took One a the, lot for right. for people to be willing to entertain those kind of, you know, outside of the box types of deals. One of the questions I asked you a couple of weeks ago was, are there new parties coming into this season of elections and um we know that there are parties that are being formed or joined based on how certain individuals have left their their standing or in their party so are you seeing a growth of parties in israel or just you know people leaving and joining something else So right now, as far as I know, the only sort of new um, factor is that three parties merged, the blue and white, the Kaholavan, 
and sorry, Blue and White and and the New Hope Party. Right. Those okay. two joined, now running as National Unity. Um, but other than that, it doesn't look like there are any new parties that would you know be anywhere near the threshold of getting any seats. Um, what, what happened to Neftali Bennett's party, Yamina? Um, Yamina. I don't see them listed on my Yamina. chart. Didn't they split off with um, uh, Ayelet Shaked merged with somebody else, and so Yamina kind of fell apart, and they were going to join. Um, was it the religious Zionist? Meet group? Um, it could be. I mean, it's 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 an interesting question because, right? Think of it this way. We're we're thinking in our heads that that um, Naftali Bennett had a sizable party because he was the prime minister. But the truth is, he had a very small number of seats. Right? Would, it was yeah. just it? the way things played out that he wound up having this uh, opportunity to be the prime minister. But it wasn't a big party. So it's not like a, a very large party has suddenly disappeared. There's a few seats here and a few seats there. Um, and yes, so it does not look like uh, the, like the Amina party as a party will wind up having any seats um, in, this, in this next election, uh, which is crazy to think about, right? How does a party go from being the prime minister's party to not existing but it's because of this funky system that we have you know we only had a handful of seats interesting interesting so this is a stay tuned moment right i am as things in israel usually are i am i mean it's a stay tuned moment for us even until the night of the election right like we really you really never know how these things are going to go and then it will still be a stay tuned moment because somebody will be charged with making a government and they'll have 30 days or whatever they get to do it and we'll stay tuned for that um yeah so it's a, so it's I, a long process it's a it's a long process and, and i think as i've shared before on this podcast that following israeli politics and Israeli election cycles is really a great example of how a representative democracy works or doesn't work. But I find it to be very exciting. And um, from, you know, my armchair seat in the States, it's an easy way to follow who's who's in, who's out, who wants to be in, who doesn't want to be out. Um, I just, it's, I yeah. find, I find it very stimulating. I think it's also interesting to think about it from the perspective of, you know, if you think about the formation of Israel and that you had people with a lot of very different views and backgrounds um, and understandings of why they wanted to have an Israel at all. But the only thing they could agree on was that there should be an Israel, basically. And they're the ones who set up this system, right? That it's meant to um, allow many different voices to be heard. Um, and, you know, as you said, whether that works or doesn't work long term, how it does and how it doesn't, I don't know. But you know, but I think it harkens back 
to people trying to build a country who had very different ideas of why there should be that country and what it should look like on really basic, basic issues. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, right, Israel wasn't ever set up as a two-party government or some other electoral system because it had to have a mechanism where a lot of very different competing voices could feel like they had a reason to be a part of it. And that's what I think is the, the strong point of a representative government is you've got all these different voices, different opinions, and different personalities that are trying to lead the country. Uh, so we'll look forward to to that. Uh, next week, hopefully we can do this face-to-face as I'll be in Jerusalem next week. Yay! Um, we'll have to figure out a way how we do this face-to-face. Um, so thank you for your time today. And uh, you want to close us out? I will thank everyone for listening to our Israel Rebound podcast, exploring the ties that bind us to Israel. And we look forward to seeing everyone or them hearing us next time. Thank you, Liz.